This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, once again, we had a very uneventful trade deadline. But that doesn't mean your team still can't change as the roster freeze is only a few days away. The gap between first and last is closing in both divisions as the playoff races heat up. Steve Dietrich of the Bandits will join us, and Nick Rose just continues to score. All that more on OTCB. Welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. Things haven't changed. My name's still Teddy Jenner. Even though there are true reports that once when I was a young kid, I wanted to change my name to Theo because Theo Flory was my favorite hockey player at the time. Thank goodness I didn't do that. But if you do want to get a hold of me, Teddy, you can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. Or you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Well, what a week we've just had in the National Lacrosse League. And I think, and I keep saying this, and I keep saying, I keep saying this because I keep saying this, is that this is what we're going to see for the last four or five weeks of the season that remain. And we are legitimately in the home stretch. We are close to getting teams clinching playoff berths, but we are so tight in the standings that nobody is out, everybody still has a shot, and everybody is in contention to make the playoffs. And a lot of that led to a very quiet and uneventful trade deadline. Two trades being made, uh, Brad Self, Creighton Reed, being flipped for each other, along with a fourth rounder to Buffalo, and then Reed getting flipped to Calgary for a second and a fourth. And as I said last week, we weren't expecting a lot to happen. There might have been some moves, but with everybody in their minds thinking that they are quote-unquote buyers, it wasn't ever going to be an impactful Deadline day. Now, had Calgary lost both games, then maybe. Had Rochester lost and lost a couple more games a few weeks ago, then maybe. We could have seen some bodies moving, some different bodies moving. But the way things stand as we are right now, Calgary is only a half game out of a playoff spot. Rochester is only a game out of a playoff spot. And Buffalo is only a half game out of a playoff spot. So when you look at it, yes, teams are still in contention to the playoffs. But the bigger question is, and this has to deal with the way that the NLL playoffs are structured, is is even if your team is in contention for the playoffs, is your team a true contender for the title? And some people may say that, you know, it's Georgia, Toronto, Saskatchewan, and Colorado, and then the other five teams. And that's fair to say. If you look at the way that those teams have played throughout the year, they have been the best four teams in the league. However, 
you really only have to win that first game of the round of the divisional semifinals, and you're already into your division finals. And then you only have to win one of or two of three games to get to the final. So you don't have to be going into the NLL playoffs on a hot streak to have success. You just got to be able to win a couple of games. It's not like, you know, the National Hockey League where you have to grind out a best of seven or, or, or situations where there's long series that can, you know, the better team usually comes out on top. In the NLL, a bad quarter can sink a good team. And we've seen it happen to Colorado in numerous years where they were the home team and they just had a bad spell and they end up losing often to Calgary, but they end up losing and they haven't been able to get to the divisional finals. So while teams may be contenders for the playoffs, but not, you know, in a lot of people's mind, contender for the cup, everybody, once you get in, it's a free-for-all. Sure, maybe in those best two of three series, you might see the better team rise to the occasion. But when you have the mini game come into play, you never know what can happen in a 10-minute minigame. So that is a big reason why we didn't see a lot of trades over the Monday that was the trade deadline. But the deal that we did see, as mentioned, um, Colorado acquiring Brad Self for Creighton Reed and a fourth, that deal was made um, for a couple of reasons. Uh, If you go to NLL Insider, or sorry, Inside Lacrosse slash NLL, um, there's a great article by Stephen Stamp uh, delving deeper into this trade and, and what made this trade possible for Brad Self. Um, it was known that Brad wants to come to Colorado next year um, and most likely was going to. Uh, his wife is there. They have family there. Uh, there's some family issues and health issues that he wanted to be closer to. And so whether he got traded or not, in the 2018 season, he was going to be a UFA and had pretty much made it known that he was going to sign in Colorado. So for Dietrich to make that trade, to make that possible, and then get Creighton Reed and a draft pick out of it, it made sense. We're going to hear from Steve Dietrich in a minute. Um, He'll fill us in on sort of more of why that trade was done. Because there are a lot of Buffalo fans that weren't exactly happy with the deal because they feel that for a team that's trying to make a playoff push and all that their general manager did was acquire them three more draft picks, a second and two-fourths, they weren't too happy about it. But Calgary getting Creighton Reed um, helps fill the void lost by the release of John Harnett, uh, which came to a surprise of many. Uh, When that news hit the wires, I think late Thursday or early Friday, uh, I've spoken to John. Um, it, it's it's affected him. He, he, he didn't really see it coming, um, but he hopes that there is a silver lining to all of this. Um, teams have till Thursday, March 30th at 3 p.m. Eastern to f- submit final rosters. So um, street free agents are able to be signed even until the 17th of April. So 
there is still time for for a team to pick up John Harnett. Um, the logical spot for him would be to end up in Vancouver, uh, being a Victoria guy and already having some Shamrocks on that team uh, and familiarity with the West and being a Western guy or a relocated Western guy. The pickup of Reed for Calgary is great. Uh, he knows Rob Williams' defensive system and is a steady stay-at-home D guy uh, that is big, imposing, and aggressive, has a bit of a mean streak, and can put the ball in it if he has to. Uh, but I'm pretty sure that's not what they're going to want him to do. They're going to want him to stay at home and, and help shore up that defense that's been helter-skelter, uh, much like that entire group as of late. So there's still lots of time. The trade deadline is done. Uh, teams have till the 30th to submit final rosters, and then they can sign street free agents until the 17th of April. And then we'll have to see how things fold out. It's crazy. Deadline, roster freeze, street free agents. Things can still change by the time we get to the end of the regular season, and that is in about five weeks' time. But this week in the National Lacrosse League, in the, over the weekend, we had three teams play back-to-back games. Toronto, Saskatchewan, and Calgary all played on Friday night. And then they all had to travel the next day and then play on Saturday night. And two of the three won. Toronto beat Georgia in overtime. Thanks to a goal by Reed Reinhold. LeBlanc flips it right back in the middle, and Toronto scores. And that does it. Reed Reinhold scores the game winner for Toronto. And that was a very well-executed play. Reinhold. Scored the tying goal late in the fourth quarter to send it to overtime. And then the overtime goal came within the first minute to seal it for Toronto on a very similar play. So the Rock knock off Georgia. They get a little bit closer to the top of the East. And then they host the Vancouver Stealth, who were waiting for them in Toronto. And in a game where, you know, with that long travel day, And having played the night before in overtime, you kind of thought that maybe Vancouver would, you know, get the job done. But no. Nick Rose and the Toronto defense held the fort, only allowed two goals in the first half, and Rosie got his third career NLO goal. And Rose got caught up in his equipment. And that's an empty cage. And Rose... Now he had one and scores! He had one last year! He had one last year and he does it again! Nick Rose! All smiles with number 66! That, I believe, is Nick Rose's <laughs> third goal. I think he scored another goal this year. I'll double check in a second. Rose does it again! Indeed, he had scored one earlier in the year. This is now his third career goal, moving him up the NLL scoring charts for goaltenders, and joins elite company along with Rob Blaisdell and Pat O'Toole of goaltenders with three or more. Blazer has four, 
tool time has three, and Rose becomes the first goaltender with two goals in one season. Thanks to Graham Perro and the NLL Fact of the Day Twitter account for that little nugget. But more importantly and more impressively was the fact that, as I mentioned, Toronto outscored Vancouver 8-2 to in the first half. And when you come off a game the night before and all the travel, to be able to have that kind of energy and defensive stoutness is so impressive. And these are Nick Rose's comments after the game about that very fact. Yeah, I mean, we have uh, a lot of our successes have come uh, from good starts, and uh, that's going to have to be the key for us. I've been saying that all year. So uh, for us to kind of have, have that effort uh, tonight, especially after kind of trailing most of the night last night, uh, was nice. And with that win, the Toronto Rock are just a half game back of the Georgia Swarm now. The Swarm do have a game in hand. They don't play each other the rest of the year. But the Toronto Rock are getting hot at the right time. And if their defense can continue to play the way they're playing and their offense continues to put up solid numbers, they are definitely the scariest team coming out of the Eastern Conference right now. Eastern Division, Eastern Conference. Take your pick. I think they're going to be right there with Georgia at the end of the year in the East. But they just seem to have that extra gear. And the way Nick Rose is playing, he's definitely in contention for goaltender of the year. Uh, I think it's a one-two race between him and Dylan Ward, uh, who was also having himself a fantastic season. We'll get to him in a minute. So those were Toronto's back-to-backs. We talked about Saskatchewan and Calgary playing back-to-backs. They played on Saturday, or sorry, on Friday night in Toontown in front of another sold-out crowd with the hitman Bret Hart in attendance, which is always cool. I'm a wrestling guy. You all know that. I'm jealous of John Fraser. Got to interview the hitman post-game. All the guys got getting to meet him. More importantly, I am jealous of Andrew McBride, who got to have dinner with the hitman on Sunday. And what was really cool, see, my voice went, like, up and off to there. That's how excited I am about wrestling and wrestlers. What was really cool is if you go back and watch um, the Tracy Kaluski tribute video, uh, because they put him in the Forever a Roughneck Hall of Fame uh, on Saturday night when the Black Wolves were in town, and, and a great tribute video and, and a great ceremony that was was done that night. Bret Hart and Tracy Klusky actually have a pretty strong relationship. And Hart spoke fondly uh, of his memories of Tracy and, and his wife and the things that they did in the community and, and their relationships together. So that was uh, pretty cool to see. I didn't know that they had that strong a relationship. Um you all probably know or may not know uh, one of Tracy's best friends growing up is Bobby Roode, um, who is now a WWE NXT superstar and, and slowly going to be making his way to the main card um, of the WWE. So uh, Tracy has some wrestling in his background, but to be able to have that relationship with with the hitman Bret Hart was just phenomenal. The fact that Andrew McBride was having dinner with the legend himself just blew my mind. 
However, back to lacrosse because that's what we do here. Um, Friday night, the Rush and Calgary again played another fantastic lacrosse game. Um, but Calgary just kind of ran out of steam late, and it was the play of the captain. I love Lucy's Chris Corbeil, who sealed things late. His pass for Corbeil, just a little long. Corbeil's got to step on Doby. Corbeil shoots and scores! Chris Corbeil, short-handed goal! 12-9, to the rush lead! The teams would trade goals after that Corbeil short-handed marker, uh, and the final score would be 13-10 in favor of the Saskatchewan Rush, who remain at the top of the Western standings. And if they had gone on to win on Saturday or had the Roughnecks lost on Saturday, the Rush would have been the first National Lacrosse League team to punch their tickets to the postseason. However, neither of those things happened because Calgary hosted the New England Black Wolves and put an absolute stomping on them. And I believe it's the second straight home game for the Roughnecks where they have put up 18 on their home floor. And both times, coming off road losses. The first time happened in Colorado where they lost 18-9 and then went home and beat Georgia 18-11. And then this weekend, they lose 13-10 to Saskatchewan and then beat New England 18-13. And much of their success, and I've said this a long time about this Calgary offense, for Calgary to be successful, they need guys other than Curtis Dixon to lead the way. And Curtis Dixon was held again, scoreless, by the rush. And when he doesn't produce, they struggle. And even when he does produce, they often have issues, and they need secondary scoring from the guys around him. And on Saturday, the Canadian rifle, Wes Berg, stood tall and took over. Out of Berg, Berg with room, Berg closes in, takes the shot and puts it wide. Shadler off the end wall, the Berg scores! Wes Berg, fourth of the night, of a gorgeous pass from Jeff Shadler. 15-9 Calgary as they got the offense working. And that offense was working. And like I said, when they get distribution through their offense, they are a very, very dangerous team. Dixon had nine points, three and six. Guess who else had nine points? Westberg, five and four. Doby had seven, three and four. Shatler had two and five. And that's the kind of ball distribution they need. But when they lose, they're not getting those kind of numbers. And again, much like Toronto's performance on back-to-back nights, Roughnecks head coach Kurt Miloski was full of praise for his team on Saturday night. That's, that's kind of like the, the best thing that can happen when you lose the night before and you get a chance to come back. You don't have to sit for a whole week and, and stew on it. And then everyone starts overanalyzing stuff. And, uh, you know, it was nice that we got on a plane. We had a good flight. You know, Wardy set us up that way. We had a good flight back. And, you know, the guys were able to get here and had a good lunch. And, uh, you know, and then, and then the rest is history when it comes to TK night. So with that win, the Roughnecks kept the rush away from the playoffs for a little while longer. And the Rush had to try and do their part. And they were playing the second of back-to-backs. And they had the toughest of the two back, or the three back-to-backs. Toronto, uh, pretty easy. Atlanta, right to Toronto on a direct flight. Um, not a lot of hassle. Sure, you get it in a, uh, it's a long travel day. And as Rosie said in his post-game, conference, in his post-game interview, um, you know, they got in late 
sort of early afternoon, but um, it wasn't a hard travel day. For the rush, it was the exact same travel day that the Mammoth had to do a couple weeks ago when they were in Saskatoon and had the early, you know, 5 a.m. flight through Minnesota-St. Paul, had a couple-hour layover, don't get into Denver until the early afternoon. By the time you're at the hotel, it's 2.30. Um, you'd barely have enough time to get some food in you and, and sleep. You're probably not sleeping a lot on the plane. You're probably not sleeping uh, a lot the night before. Even if you do get in a pregame nap, it's probably not the best one you're going to get. And so the Rush go into Colorado and face a mammoth team that has taken them to the limit twice this season, both games in Saskatoon. And as that game just kind of started to flow early on, Colorado was in control. At the end At the end of the first, it was just 2-1. It was a slow start, and you kind of thought, oh, maybe this is just going to be a really low-scoring defensive game. And then in the second quarter, Colorado outscored Saskatchewan 7-1 and took an 8-3 lead into the half. And it was funny because, and, and I mentioned this on the broadcast, Steve Govett said as we were watching the, the Toronto game earlier in the evening, no lead, he said, no lead safe. Even if it's a five-goal lead, this is the nature of our league and the nature of our sport, sport that no lead is safe. And maybe I should have said that on the broadcast because I made it come true. Because Colorado outscored Saskatchewan 7-2 in the third quarter. And we're all tied at 10 going into the fourth. And when Dinsdale scored a minute six into the fourth quarter, it started to creep into the minds of everybody in the Pepsi Center. Like, oh, no. This can't happen, can it? Can a team coming off a back-to-back or on a back-to-back on a long travel day after being down, you know, five goals to start the quarter, the start the half, come all the way back and take this game for the win? Well, Colorado would score the next four goals over the span of about 12 minutes to seal this one, and then it was Dylan Ward who rose to the occasion and shut the door. To Jones tonight. He'll shoot kick save there by Dylan Ward. Outside shot. Another kick save by Ward. Ball flute. Open up. Reno, what a save on the right shoulder of Ward. Dylan Ward sliding post to post with a right shoulder save. And the Mammoth take it 14-11. And with the win, they get to within a game of the Saskatchewan Rush. The Rush have two games in hand. However, the two teams will play at the end of the season, April 28th of Friday. In Colorado. And that game could decide the West Division. A great moment in that game. Uh, at, after the first TV timeout, uh, the Mammoth put on a great little video for Adam Jones. It was his first game back inside the Pepsi Center since the trade. And he got a standing ovation. He saluted the crowd. Um, and those are just really cool moments when you see that in sports. And it's not too often in the National Lacrosse League where a guy plays in an organization for a number of years and then gets traded, especially a guy of the caliber of Adam Jones. We don't see a lot of superstar trades in our league. And it was just a great 
touch by the Mammoth to do it. And I know, you know, a lot of other teams do it. When when Greer played his first game back, uh, the Rush faithful gave him a standing ovation and a warm applause. And it happened when John Grant Jr. returned to Rochester. Um, you can go back and forth throughout the league and see moments of this and, and other sports and, and teams do that. But, you know, I just find those moments really, really cool. And, you know, there's a lot of emotion in, in those types of games. And unfortunately for Jonesy and the Rush, they just couldn't quite pull it through. And the Mammoth kind of got a bit of a re- revenge on the Rush. And, and it was a game that they really needed um, for morale and for confidence, especially moving forward because they go to Georgia this weekend to play the Swarm. Then they have a weekend off. And then they get the Nighthawks at home. They're away to Rochester. And then on at home against the Rush to end their season. So every win is important for them. Every win is important for everybody as we get to this late stage of the season. And finally, the only game uh, that we haven't talked about yet uh, was the Buffalo-Rochester game in Rochester. And this is probably my favorite rivalry in the NLL because the teams are so close. It's only an hour between Buffalo and Rochester uh, along the I-90. And what makes this rivalry so special is just the fact that fans can make the commute and it makes the atmosphere that much more special and that much louder um, and intense. And the players thrive off that. And when you're a rookie in the National Lacrosse League and you're playing in those types of games, you always like to take your game to another level. And Kyle Jackson has been doing that for the Nighthawks pretty much all year. He might be number two. He probably is number two in the Rookie of the Year race right now, along with Tom Schreiber. But um, Jackson had eight points on the night to lead all players, and he continues to fill the void left by Cody Jamison. And he may have gotten off to a bit of a slow start in the first couple games of the year, but he's really stretched his game to an elite level this year, and he was on full display Saturday night. Teresa Terrence as he took the feed from Jackson. Hollis now will give it to Dawson on the left wing. Near side to Jackson. Jackson shooting. Scores! Kyle Jackson, it's 10-9. The Bandits would tie it up at 10 before Brad Gillies' goal made it 11-10, which would be your final. Now, Brad Gillies, no relation to Brad Gills, uh, the NLL fish. No relation. But Brad Gillis uh, with the game-winning goal to give Rochester a huge win over the rival, the Buffalo Bandits. Um, it helps them take the season series from the Bandits. And after the game, uh, Kyle Jackson was asked by the media how big this was to help his team in a late playoff push. Most definitely. I mean, we've lost some key players along the way, but uh, right now this was a good start. It was a good first win on the road to five more. Five more could be tough. The Nighthawks are home this weekend against the Calgary Roughnecks. Then they're on the road against Rochester before they're coming home on the 22nd to take on the Black Wolves. And then at the end of the year, Friday the 28th and Saturday the 29th, they play a home-and-home with the Georgia Swarm, which really could seal their season if it hasn't been already. So, um, yes, five wins would go a long way to help the Nighthawks get into the playoffs after missing it last year. Uh, But they've got a lot of work to do. And, you know, they've been 
riddled with injuries, and they've been trying to find every way possible to get wins, and they've been doing it. Matt Vince has been doing everything he can. Dan Dawson is literally doing everything he can, fighting, scoring, making plays. So this is a team that's, you know, a lot of people counted them out um, when Cody Jameson uh, decided that it was going to be the end of the season for him. But they're still in it. As I said, they aren't out of this by any means. And the fact that they are that close and the fact that they have the season series tiebreaker with Buffalo helps them. Buffalo has a game in hand, but they don't play them anymore this season. Buffalo doesn't play New England anymore this season. So the race for that third seed in the East is going to be a very, very tough one. As mentioned, I spoke with Buffalo Bandits general manager Steve Dietrich earlier in the day. Uh, his team is 5-7, and seven, and I asked him, at this point of the year, how's he feeling? Well, it would be better if we were, I don't even know what our record is, what are we, 5-8, and 5-7? It would be better if it was reversed. Yeah, yeah, 7-5 and five would be a good spot to be right now. Yeah, yeah, 7-5 would be good. A lot better than 5-7. and seven. Yeah, that's true. Uh, what... What do you think has been the issue with your club this year? And I don't mean issue in a bad way, but, but what's been the thing that's been holding you back from being a 7-5 team? You know, people like the, they hate to hear the word parity. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it's pretty prevalent, I think. Like, um, you know, Saskatchewan obviously is the cream of the crop. But, but um, you know, anybody can beat anybody on any given night when you really look at it. And, and um, you know, there's we lost to Rochester twice by goal. I think we've lost to... England twice by a goal so there's a you know four losses out of our seven that could have easily been wins and mm-hmm. and that's what was happening last year we were winning those games you know this league is so razor thin and you can go from being you know the, the top of the mountain to mid mountain to the bottom of the mountain real quick and it's like it's a blink of an eye we're yeah. almost the same team that you know that gave Saskatchewan all they can handle last year and Know, now we're two games under 500 fighting for our lives. So you, you never know, man. From one year to another, you never know. It's crazy how it works that way, isn't it? Yeah, and it's for my from my uh, aspect, it's, it's so frustrating. Yeah, you, absolutely. You sit up there and, and you know you look at the names on paper, and, and trust me, I know you got to play the games, and I understand all that. But you look at the names on the paper, and then you look at the record last year, and Something's not adding up here. Like, yeah, yeah. Enough. You know, and you have a lot of these excuses. You know, we, we ran into some injuries, but every team does. Last year, we basically stayed healthy. So, yeah. you know, you can look at a lot of varying things of, of last year and this year and, you know, easily figure out how, you know, last year we were 13-5 and five, and now we're 5-7 and, seven and you know, we're almost the same team. Let's talk about the, this trade deadline move of, of moving Brad Self and then flipping Creighton Reed. Um, obviously, a lot of moving parts went into that, and I was kind of sitting in the Mammoth offices as, as all of this was going down. But um, how did this trade come about, and was it something that had been always on your mind? You know, Brad's a tremendous individual. Um, I, I had the luxury of uh, playing with his brother at the end of my career, who's, who's phenomenal, and I had, I had never met Brad. Um, but uh, you know he's a salt of the earth guy, and, and he was a tough he was a tough guy to move. But it's it's something that, that worked out 
well for us. Um, we have a kid by the name of Blaze Reardon who um, is coming back to being healthy that we want to give some more time to. Uh, you know, I had some good dialogue with Steve and Dan throughout the year, and it, it's just something that, that came about, uh, something we talked about a couple weeks ago, that if things didn't go our way the next two games, that we would relook at it. And, and uh, you know, it, it's something that was probably best for all of us. And, um, you know, Reader was never coming to us. I, I got to play with Creighton at the end of my career all, all you know, in Toronto. Great mm-hmm. guy, great team guy. You know, he's a class individual. He's going to help Calgary. But it was just one of those things where, you know, I wanted some picks. Colorado had something that, that Calgary wanted. You know, I had something that Colorado wanted, and I just wanted to try and get the best picks I could. So uh, it was a deal that worked out. And, and um, you know, I, I think when we, when we got done, everybody was happy. Everybody felt that they got what they needed out of the deal, which is, you know, always the, the best deal you can make when everybody thinks that they're coming out in a win-win-win situation. The general managers may think it's a win-win, but uh, obviously some Buffalo Bandits fans weren't too thrilled seeing Brad moved and, and you only getting some uh, second and fourth round picks in upcoming drafts. What do you say to uh, the Bandits fans um, who are looking at this deal from the outside? You know, like I say, it, it was tough, and sometimes um, a lot of things go into making a trade that not everybody understands. Yeah. But, um, you know, we have... We have Blaze Reardon, who's going to step in and, and play the role that, that Brad had been doing now that Ryan Benesh is healthy and we were able to acquire Pat Saunders. So we're just looking at it like, um, you know, we acquired some picks for Brad. Uh, there was a good chance Brad wasn't going to be coming back here next year anyways. Yeah. Um, and it gives Blaze Reardon a chance to show us what we got. And then we have an idea going into the draft what we need. Are we going to need a left-handed shot or is Blaze going to be able to take that, you know, take that the bull by the horns and run with it, and then we may be able to look in another direction. But, yeah, you know, you have to find out these things uh, prior to the draft to know what you actually need. And if Blaze yeah. can show us that he can play, then with, you know, Mitch Jones and, and Blaze and, and Ryan Banesh and Pat Saunders, then we're pretty solid on the left side, and we can look at other areas that we need that we uh, obviously need to improve. Yeah, absolutely. Mitch has, has been really blossoming into a, a, a steady offensive lefty. You know, he started in the transitional in his career, and now he's really blossomed. Um, but how happy are you with the acquisition of Pat Saunders and what he's brought to the club? You know, Pat's been great. And Pat, uh, Pat's the guy that, that um, we went after, I believe it was not this past summer, the summer before, and, yeah. and tried to sign him to a um, you know, restricted free agent offer uh, New England match. But, you know, Pat's a goal scorer, he's a natural goal scorer, and he's a left-handed natural goal scorer, which, you know, you, Teddy, being around long enough to know that those are probably the, the toughest things to find, natural yeah. left-handed goal scorers. So uh, for us to be able to get him at the price we paid, uh, we were real happy. And, you know, Rich and I went back and forth many times, bickering over price, and when the price made sense to us, you know, especially with, at the time, uh, Ryan Vanessa was hurt. So... Uh, it, it just made sense for us, and you know we've been ecstatic with what Pat brings, and we're excited now to watch the uh, the four of those guys hopefully gel together and, and be a core group for us moving forward. As a goaltender yourself, um, been through highs and lows, the the ebb and flows of being a goaltender, and the mental struggles that it is. Um, what's your conversations with Cause and David about keeping their spirits high as you go into this home stretch here? 
you know, they've been great for us. I think I think we struggled a little bit defensively early in the year, and, um, you know, a lot of that was put onto them, and I know their numbers weren't very flattering early, but it, it wasn't wasn't because they weren't playing well. They've been great. And, you know, i, I got to give Anthony Cosmo so much uh, kudos and respect, not only for the way he plays, but – um, and has played, and, you know, he's a Hall of Fame career. You don't really need to talk more about it. But he has been tremendous for, for Dave and for Kevin Orleman. He's always talking to them. He's taking them both under his wing, which, you know, it, it, it's fun to see for me um, because it, it was something that at the end of my career that I, that I tried to pass on any, any knowledge that I may have had to some of the younger guys. And to watch Cause do it with, with let's be honest, two guys that are trying to take his job. Yeah. Uh, you know, it is is pretty special, and it, it just goes to talk about, you know, the kind of person Anthony Cosmo is that he puts the team first. But no, those guys have been great, and you know, like let, let's <laughs> let's not have the the uh, you know the death the death song for the bandits yet. Like we still mm, have yeah. we still have six games here. Yeah, it's it's a pretty daunting task starting with Saturday night with Saskatchewan, but. You know, we have six games. We still control our own destiny, and and uh, we go out and play the way we're capable of playing, which wasn't last Saturday night. But if we yeah. go out and play the way we're capable of playing, you know, we're still we're still a tough out for anybody that has to play. Absolutely, and you have a game in hand on on New England, who is a spot ahead of you in the standings. So that's going to help as well. Uh, the, the schedule makers didn't do you a, a lot of help facing Toronto, Georgia, back to back, pretty much in, in successive weekends. Um, that's always tough, especially facing Eastern teams down the road. Yeah, but we didn't do ourselves any favors by winning some games early either. Yeah. Um, so, we, you know, we put ourselves in this hole. But when you look at it, the, the one frustrating thing for me is that, you know, the two teams that, that have a tiebreaker on us, which is New England and Rochester, we don't play them anymore. Yeah. So we have we have to finish ahead of them. But we have the luxury of having Georgia and Toronto still on our schedule that if we want to catch either one of those guys, we have the opportunity that if we can run the table here and get some wins, that we can control, um, you know, our own destiny, but also control tiebreaker scenarios with them. And then if, if more of the two teams are tied, then it, you know, it gets all jumbled. So it might yeah. take it might take us losing the tiebreaker in New England and Rochester out of the equation. But you know, we have we have some pretty big mountains ahead of us, and like I said, it starts Saturday night with the defending champs. But if we're ever going to be fired up for a lacrosse game, you think it'd be this one, but yeah. you know, these guys took a ring off our fingers, so these guys, uh, they'll be ready. You have a daunting task, as you said, uh, ahead of you, but you have the double header of Toronto and then Georgia. Well, we've seen some teams do some crazy double headers um, and try to figure out the best way to manipulate that for their team, whether it's flying right out and getting to that city before or letting the team sleep and, and fly out early in the morning. As a general manager, what do you think is the best option for, for your team on, on tough doubleheaders like that? Yeah, not the tough one. Because I'll, I'll, put, I'll put my playing hat on. My playing hat says, you know, get out early, get back so you can have lunch and then have your nap and stay in your normal routine. Yeah. Um, but I know with all the science and the technology and everything that's out now, the thought process is you need to sleep. And you need to sleep longer and longer, uh, that's better than waking up and going back to bed. So I think that's probably the route we're going to go. Um, you know, as a player, I really didn't care. I just wanted to uh, get back as soon as I can and you know, get back into your normal routine. But uh, I think with the technology we have now, we're going to get out later, let these guys sleep a little longer, and 
it may mess up the routine, but uh, hopefully in the long run it ends up working for us. Uh, before we let you go, um, as a goalie, how many goals did you have in your National Lacrosse League career? Uh, I have never scored a goal ever, and it, it, it's kind of scary now uh, when I look at the, the stats and I see Nick Rowe score, and I don't even blink an eye anymore. So yeah. um, I think that's third, fourth, or fifth for him. And to be honest with you, Teddy, I don't even know if I took a shot on that. Now, what I, <laughs> I, I, I will tell you, I did when junior, I had to play out a couple games, and I scored as an out player. moments in games where, you know, if your team's up a couple goals and you're maybe less than a minute, you don't want your guys shooting towards an empty net because, you know, it could come back and they could bury a couple on you, but uh, your goalies have the green light to throw that empty netter? Yeah, uh, see, uh, yes and no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the throw answer is no, don't, because yeah. you're right. Um, but I get it. Like, some of these guys, it's a thrill for them and they'll never have that opportunity, so um, I, you know, I put my goalie hat on and I wouldn't frown upon them doing it. But right. putting my GM hat on, if it ever came back to bite us in the butt, I'd be somewhat happy uh, that they did it. So I look at it both ways, and I, I know I know I can't really talk out of both sides of my mouth, but uh, I know I just did. Steve, it's always a pleasure catching up with you. Um, best of luck this weekend against the Rush on Saturday night. And uh, continue success throughout the rest of the year. And I know everybody in Bannerland wants to see the Orange and Blacks in the playoffs again. Sounds good, Teddy. Sounds a pleasure. There's Bandits GM Steve Dietrich. And you heard his thoughts that um, on the trade with Brad Self um, and, and the flipping of Creighton Reed. Um, and, you know, that's how this league works. Sometimes you got to move a body to move a body to get picks. And for a team that is getting older, they're going to need to stockpile. And with expansion coming, um, we're going to see later round, te- later round picks have success and become more prevalent in the National Lacrosse League. And I'm still of the mindset that we're not going to have a team in 2018. So that 2019 draft, the more picks you can have in it, the more chances you are you can... Leverage yourself to find a quality player or find a diamond in the rough. And while Buffalo Bandit fans may not like the move, it was something that needed to be done, and and Dietrich felt that this was the best way to go about it. He was going to lose Brad Self anyway, so might as well try to get something for him. And in the end, he essentially kind of got three picks for him. So... It's never easy in the National Lacrosse League to be a general manager, um, especially when other GMs aren't always willing to deal. And when it was Monday, I was in Colorado, and I was you know, able to kind of see firsthand how Steve Govett worked things and how Dan Carey, his right-hand man, helped work things. And they were constantly on the phone back and forth with Dietrich, talking with Mike Board, putting feelers out to anybody and everybody that they could. And this was sort of the one deal that they were solely focused on, and it took them a while to make it happen. They needed to finally bring Calgary into the loop to make it a three-team deal to make it work for everybody. 
as Steve Dietrich said. You know, I talked with Doug Locker, and he said it's tough to make deals when you can't have a dance partner. I talked with Jamie Dowick, and he said, you know what, we're happy with where our team is right now. We're not really looking to make a move. So there, there were some phone calls being made, but in the end, with the way the National Lacrosse League sits right now, there was never, ever going to be any big deals made. And like I said earlier, had Calgary lost a couple more games or had Calgary lost Saturday night, um, we might have seen some moves. Had Rochester lost, we might have seen a couple more moves. But that didn't happen. And so we got a very another quiet trade deadline. And I can't remember who I heard say this. I can't remember if it was um, a fan saying it or if it was another general manager saying it. But when two-thirds of your league make the playoffs, playoffs, I do that every time. Um, when two-thirds of your team make the playoffs, it's tough to make moves at the deadline because everybody feels that they are in contention and that they are a buyer. And once expansion happens, I think they're going to have to, depending on where the next teams or team lands, east or west, they're going to have to either realign or they're going to have to figure out a new playoff format. Because if you had another team that goes into the East, well, now you're 6-4. and four, And that's not easy to maneuver around. You could do the old crossover, which the NLL had done before. And I don't mind it. Especially if there's an unbalanced in the divisions. But there is going to have to be some restructuring once expansion happens in the National Cross League. It has to happen because unless, you know, unless the next team is a Western Division team, then you're 5 and 5. Then maybe you just do 4 and 4, but then you then you have 8 of 10 teams making it. That's 80% of your league making the playoffs. That makes the regular season really unimportant in a sense. But if you do, you know, 10 teams and six make it, that's 60%. That's a little better. But there has to, we have to find, once expansion happens, we're going to have to find a different playoff route, I think. That's just me. But we're not even in the playoffs yet. We still have week 14 in the National Lacrosse League to go through. And that starts on Friday. And we're almost there. The 31st, Toronto at Vancouver. And we talk about tough travel schedules. We could be seeing one of the toughest for the Toronto Rock. And it's very fortunate they don't play on back-to-back nights. They play two games in one weekend. So they have the Saturday as a travel day, which is a little bit better. But they have to play in Vancouver on Friday night and then fly all the way back east on Saturday and get themselves to New England for a Sunday 1 o'clock afternoon game. That is not fun. 
especially when you consider that the Friday night game will be at 10.30 Eastern time. And then they have to play at 1 o'clock Eastern time on Sunday. That's a short window between games. That's what? Um, 24, 34, 36, 40 hours-ish? 40 hours between games for two games in 40 hours? When you have to go coast to coast? Pretty much literally? It's not going to be easy. And that's the only game Friday night. And then Saturday... Colorado is in Georgia to take on the Swarm 705 Eastern at the Infinite Energy Center. Saskatchewan at Buffalo, 7.30 p.m. at KeyBank. Calgary at Rochester, 7.30 at Blue Cross. And then the Sunday game, Toronto at New England at Mohegan Sun, 1 p.m. on Sunday afternoon. Uh, The Twitter game this week is Saskatchewan at Buffalo. Um, It was really cool being on the Twitter game last week. Uh, We don't know the numbers from this week's game, but the week before... The Colorado-Toronto game, Paul Rabel tweeted out the numbers. Uh, 800,000 views or clicks with 300,000 unique views, which is more people than have ever watched a lacrosse game ever. And for the game this past weekend... Saskatchewan at Colorado, Twitter Sports tweeted out the link to 15.3 million people. Now, not all of those 15.3 million people either looked at the link, saw the link, or clicked on the link. But when Twitter Sports has that many followers, that just increases the possibility of eyeballs watching our sport and sports on Twitter as I throat burp into the mic sports on Twitter are becoming a bigger thing the PGA Tour is there Um, NHL hockey is there obviously college lacrosse has been there a little bit NFL was there so sports on social media is becoming a bigger and bigger thing And if the National Lacrosse League can continue this and can continue giving great games, uh, because the Colorado-Toronto game was fantastic, Um, the Saskatchewan-Colorado game was great, Saskatchewan-Buffalo is going to be a great game in front of a massive crowd in Buffalo. Unless, of course, they all boycott because of the self-trade. But that's, you know, really... Strong marketing and strong use of your schedule by Nick Sakevich and his partnership with Twitter to make it work the way it did. Um, in two weeks, uh, it's going to be Vancouver at Saskatchewan is going to be the Twitter game. Uh, I believe that um, what I've been told is true, that even though uh, this weekend's game of Saskatchewan at Buffalo will be his last game calling games for the rush, John Fraser will be calling the Vancouver-Saskatchewan game on the Twitter call, which is pretty cool because John's a good dude. So we have some great lacrosse coming up this weekend. We have some great games coming up um, all across the land on Twitter. And we're getting closer and closer to playoffs because... 
it's that time of year. March Madness is almost done. The Masters and WrestleMania are just days away. And the National Lacrosse League playoffs are about a month away. And I hope you are excited because we are going to have a thrilling finish to the National Lacrosse League season. The last game of the year is the 29th at Saskatchewan at Calgary. We are a month away from that game. So buckle up. Uh, I want to thank Steve Dietrich for stopping by and giving us some time. As always, I want to thank you for listening. Don't forget that Thursday, teams must submit their final rosters by 3 p.m. Eastern, and then they have till 3 p.m. Eastern on April 17th to sign any street free agent. Who knows what can happen between now and then. Um, A couple other things that made news this week in the world of lacrosse. Um, Of course, it was Tracy Kluski night um, in the Saddle Dome Saturday night. What an incredible evening. Um, Again, if you go to the Roughneck social media pages, uh, you can find all of the videos and speeches from that night. Um, Take some time. Enjoy some of the highlights of Tracy Kluski's career and, and seeing him and a young John Grant Jr. back in their days in the Peterborough Minor Lacrosse Association. Uh, Junior still kind of looks like Junior even when they were 13 years old. Um, Jim Milligan was named the head coach and general manager of the Burnaby Lakers. Uh, Millie, obviously, with the Vancouver Stealth, has grown accustomed to Western life, and the Lakers have decided to part ways with Paul Robotham and Roy McDade, and instead they decided to go with Jim Milligan, which was a bit of a surprise, but... You know what? This is an organization that has kind of been spinning its tires, trying to gain some traction with the other big dogs in the West. So maybe Millie can bring them a bit of a change. And then earlier today on Tuesday, the new Westminster Salmon Bellies shipped goaltender Eric Penny to the Lakers in exchange for a second-round draft pick, which kind of shakes things up all over the goaltending scene in the West, because now New West has Alex Bouquet and Ty Belanger in their midst, so that allowed them to ship Eric Penny. and But now Burnaby has Boychuk, Penny, and Richards. Now what are they going to do in between the pipes? Maybe Richards is done playing summer ball, and that's why they went and got Eric Penny. But we are a little ways away from the WLA season starting, but we're not actually that far away when you think about it. Only a couple of months before the season starts and teams are starting to make some moves. Speaking of summer ball, the Major Series Lacrosse Association announced their schedule for the summer season. It all gets going May 28th, so two months from now as Oakville will take on Coburg. Um, Obviously, you know, this is a big year for everybody in the in, in Canadian Summer Bowl with the Man Cup being out west. Um, so we'll have to wait and see what teams are going to load up with if they start loading up as we get closer and closer to the summer starts. We still don't know the future of the Peterborough Lakers for two years from now. I have a feeling they'll get their arena situation sorted out, but um, I, it would be just... Incredible to see an MSL season without the Peterborough Lakers. I just couldn't imagine it. And I just have this really weird feeling that they're going to figure it out. Whether they backload their schedule with home dates, whether they just play a whole road season, um, whether they 
play in some smaller communities. Who knows? We'll just have to wait and see. But until then, my name is and always will be Teddy Jenner. You can find me on Twitter at off the crossbar. Email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Thanks to Chugger. Thanks to you. And thanks to the entire lacrosse universe for being so awesome. That'll do it here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. We will speak to you in seven days. Until that time, be excellent to each other. Woman, don't try.